Well, hey, good morning, everybody. If you can go ahead and find your seat. Merry Christmas. Hope that you are having a good December so far. Kind of interested to hear what different family traditions you might have. I'll share one of mine in a moment. Um, but before we do, just want to say again, welcome. Uh, welcome if you're new here. Welcome if you uh, are just visiting with us. Um, excited for this Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Joe Polino. I serve as a lead pastor here. And uh, we are in a season of Advent. So if Advent is new to you, uh, Advent is a Latin word that means coming. If you even want to break it down uh, in um, uh, what the word means, the etymology of it, ad means to, invent means come. And so we're looking forward to what's coming. And so in the church tradition, this has been celebrated for centuries, um, looking forward to Christ's coming by taking each of the uh, four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day to build preparation and hope in our heart of what is to come. And so last week, we looked at the hope that Christ brings. And then today, we're going to look at the peace that Christ brings. And the way that we're doing that is that we have an Advent reading. So I have my buddy, Kevin Palm, up here, uh, who is going to read in just a moment. And so he's going to read um, a, a portion. There's going to be a slide on the screen that's going to say leader. And he's going to lead us in that about how Christ brings peace. But then there's also a part for you as a congregation to say as well. So when that part comes, you say that out loud. And then, uh, and then he's going to read a scripture. And I'm going to ask all of you guys to stand, please. Invite you to stand. And so he is going to say the leader portion. Yeah, right now. Yeah, there we go. Just stand. Yeah, there we go. Um, thank you guys for doing that. And just into, uh, he's going to read the leader portion. You're going to say the congregation part. And then he's going to read the scripture and just ask you to remain standing until he's done reading. So Kevin, take it away. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so we light this candle of peace as we prepare for the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. We are waiting for the Lord's return as the prophets awaited his birth. When he comes, there will be everlasting peace. The scripture for today will be from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called, he, and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is God's word. You may be seated. God bless you. Yeah. So, question for you to open up uh, the sermon today. Um, how would you answer this question? It's a fill-in-the-blank question. And you can, as if you were asking yourself, if I was given fill-in-the-blank this Christmas, that would give me peace. If I was given fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is, this Christmas, that would give me peace. So just a, a question for you to think about. As I was thinking about this, it made me think of family traditions. And one of my favorite family traditions that we've done for several years now is we do a secret Santa giving tradition in my family. Uh, and so with uh, my siblings, uh, we, we, we do uh, drawing of the names. And so you will uh, have that person, but you won't tell them. Uh, and the idea is it's supposed to encourage generosity, not break the bank, because you're just one person instead of many, right? Uh, and it works out where everyone has something to open, hopefully, if you draw names correctly. Uh, there have been said years where two years in a row, my wife accidentally got skipped over. So it's a favorite tradition of mine, probably not of hers, um, but I do think we felt so bad she got whatever was the priciest gift on her list. Um, but just thinking about, thinking about that, um, in order to have the Secret Santa tradition, you have to create a wish list. And I am the worst at this. In fact, this past Thanksgiving, my sister-in-law called me out and said, Joe, you are the worst at making lists. You need to make a list like right now. Um, and so I was like, she is right because uh, I don't really know what to put on my list. And I, 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 I think about when I was a kid and this was a big deal, making your list. And this is before the internet. So there was actually some groundwork I needed to do by going to a Toys R Us or a Walmart. Do you guys remember that? There's a few Toys R Uses around, but RIP Toys R Us, that was the place that was the place to go, or you would get a magazine and you would sit down and you would circle the things that I wanted. And then I would create some sort of presentation to lobby for the most desired gift that I wanted. So wish lists were a big deal when I was a kid, but I used to like roll my eyes at my parents who would say, just give me, you know, a pair of socks or, you know, my dad some duct tape or batteries or something, you know? 
you know, and, and, and now I, I'm like, now I'm like, I actually would really enjoy a pair of socks. You know, that would actually be a great gift. Like, I don't get, I don't think to get that. That would actually be, that would really bless me. So I'm beginning to understand a little bit more of this position. But when I asked this question, you know, if I was given fill in the blank this Christmas, what would give me peace? Uh, what would that be? I think we would probably think of things that wouldn't go on an Amazon wish list, right? There wouldn't be things that we would find that would be at a store. Maybe they would be. Maybe there is something that would help you. But I think in, in most part, it would be something that you feel like there is a hole or there is a lack of peace in this area, and this would fulfill it. Maybe it's a relationship that is broken. Maybe it is uh, financial peace. Maybe it's uh, different things like that. And when we use the word peace in our vocabulary, uh, what we mean is peace that means absence of conflict or chaos, right? So if there's political peace, then there is no wars. If there's relational peace, that means that strife has stopped in our interpersonal relationships or those that we are close to. If we have financial peace, it means that you're not anxious or worried about finances in that moment, or you're following the baby steps of Dave Ramsey. So you, there's, there's, there's that kind of peace. But when the Bible talks about peace, it's not just the absence of conflict. It does mean that, but it means something different. The Hebrew word for it is actually shalom. Say that with me, shalom. Shalom. Now, if you heard of shalom, a lot of times it's a greeting or it's actually a farewell given. You know, shalom or shalom is, uh, is, is both a high and goodbye. But what it means is I bless you and I actually pray that your life would be in a state of wholeness or completeness, that your entire well-being would not be lacking, that there would be a soundness to it. And so it can mean absence of conflict, but it also means the presence of things being in the right place for your mind, your body, your soul, for every part of your life, that this is the peace that the Bible talks about. And so as we talk about that, this picture of shalom, one of my, the pictures that sticks with my mind is this picture of a wall being uh, built with bricks and like every brick or every stone is in its place. And where there's a hole in your shalom or a hole in your wall, um, there is something that is missing. And because of that, you feel vulnerable or you feel uneasy or you feel fearful or worried. And, a lot, and the word that kind of sums that up is the opposite of peace is that there's a general sense of anxiety, sense of anxiety. And so when we're talking this morning about Christ coming to bring peace, I think that's something that we all desperately need because there's a big problem of anxiety in our society. Just a few statistics. Anxiety is one of the most common mental illnesses worldwide. And in the U.S. alone, anxiety affects 40 million adults a year. And according to recent research this year, that uh, they surveyed people. And they said 37 people who did this survey responded. And they said that they were more anxious in 2023 than in the years prior. And then... The Gen Z generation, which if you were born generally 1997 to 2012, is called the most anxious generation to date. Now, maybe that's because we have more studies. Maybe that's because we're more well-connected. Maybe that's because uh, they, in this study, it says that uh, there wasn't a time for them, really, they can remember where there wasn't the internet. And so they were online for 10 hours on average a day. 
And so they're so well connected and all the social media and all the information and not to mention just decisions that they're making in their 20s and now just where they're like there, there is an extreme amount of anxiety in our world. And I think just this Christmas, as we look at Jesus, as we look at the gospel, as we look at this scripture we're about to go through, I think we are in desperate need of heavenly peace in our anxious world today. Would you guys agree? We are in desperate need of heavenly peace in an anxious world today. And really, that's at the heart of Christmas. One of the, probably the most famous Christmas verse that is repeated is when the angels are talking to the shepherds at night and they are declaring that Jesus has just been born. And in Luke 2.14, they sing this to the shepherds in their fields at night. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth, peace on earth. I saw, you can see those signs all over the place on, you know, there's a desire, a universal desire for there to be peace on earth. But how can we find that in such an anxious world? And so what I wanna do with you uh, is just go through the scripture again that Kevin just read. Looking at the account in Luke 1 of Mary and how she was a part of this story that is way bigger than she ever thought and how Christ comes and gives her peace. And the first thing I want to look at from the scripture is that we, we receive the gift of peace from Christ by honest reflection. Because I want to say this, I'll just say this on the front end. This passage of scripture has bugged me the entire couple weeks I've studied it. I, there's just something about it that I am like, I, I think I got it. And then it's like, there's just something here that like, even as I'm here preaching and I, I know what I'm going to say for my notes, I feel like there's something that God wants to even reveal in the moment that is just so deep in her response. Because what we're going to see in a moment is that the good news that the angel is coming to give her is great news on the one hand, but it disrupts every part of her life that's peaceful. It shakes everything that she knows, and yet she responds in such a profound way. So let's look at the scripture again. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along. There's also Bibles in the seat back in front of you. So let's look at Luke 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So just pause right here. What is happening? Last week, we looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah. The same angel Gabriel came to Zechariah, but he was in Jerusalem, the capital, and Zechariah is a priest, and he is he was chosen by Lot to go and serve in the temple and burn incense. It was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So Zechariah is a priest in the most important city in the most important place when Gabriel comes and gives him the news about John the Baptist. This is probably the opposite of that. Nazareth and Galilee is not important. In fact, Galilee is more towards the north, and there are lots of Gentiles and non-Jews around, and so they don't have a reputation for being faithful, devout followers of God. And so Nazareth, 
doesn't have a good reputation. In fact, later on in the Gospels, there's a, there's a man named Nathaniel who's invited to come and see who Jesus is, and he finds out that his title is Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so this is a, a town with not a good reputation. It is not the upper class. It is not known for really anything. And, and instead of Zechariah, who's a priest, who's older, which age in that day was renowned as and well-respected, we have Mary, who is betrothed. She's pledged to be married, but she's probably 15 years old or younger. And, and yet, the Gabriel comes and gives her this news. It's, it's amazing. And so he says that, that he says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. But look at Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then look again, how does Mary respond? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And so with this, it's just what I love about this and how we receive the peace of Christ is this, I love Mary's example of she has honest questions about this. Like she is, she is greatly troubled and disturbed. She's, she's on the one hand, this news is incredible, but for her to take it in, what she's reflecting on is one, who knows what she was doing that day, but I can just imagine her going about her chores. Maybe she's thinking of the things that will happen once she's married to Joseph. Maybe she's, who knows what she's doing, and Gabriel shows up and disturbs her peace, and she's greatly troubled by that. And then she's left wondering what kind of greeting is this. But that word wonder in the Greek does not mean that she thinks this is wonderful. It means to ponder. It's actually an accounting term. She's using her mind and her reasons to try to reconcile what is happening. She's wondering what this type of greeting is, like what is happening right now. And then she hears Gabriel explain that she's going to conceive and bear a son and his name's Jesus and he's going to be called son of the most high. And she's hearing this and she's tracking with him and, and she says, but how will this happen? I, I, I'm, I'm a virgin. And so she's pledged to be married, which in those days, the parents would arrange the marriage, step one. And then there was an intermediary step, step two, which is a pledging, which that there would be witnesses, there would be terms of the marriage, there would be a prenuptial agreement that as that was finalized, the only way it could be broken is through a divorce. And so they are at that point in their relationship. But the wedding ceremony and the consummation, that has not happened yet. You guys following with me? So that's where she's at. So how will this happen? We have not, we haven't consummated our marriage. We haven't had a wedding ceremony. And so she has these honest questions to the Lord. And what I love about this is that sometimes we can, we can fall into the trap that if, if I'm going to have faith in God, I, just, I, don't, I can't have blind faith. I can't just take the leap. And what we're seeing here is that 
Mary is given as an example of honest reflection and thoughtfulness of using her mind to evaluate what is happening here. What does this news mean? What, what are the implications of this? She's not accepting. She's not denying. She's just pondering. And I think that's one of the things for us during this Christmas time is for us, if you're familiar with the story or if you're unfamiliar with the story, is just to sit with this story and to wonder, wow, why would God do it this way? Why would he come to a virgin? Why not come to someone who's already married and, and, and conceive that way? Why, why would he do this? And to ponder and to, and to wonder. And, and the other thing that I love about Mary's questioning, though, is that it's different than Zachariah's question. So if you weren't here with us last week, Gabriel comes to Zachariah and he says, even though you are old and your wife is beyond the years when she can have a baby, y'all are going to have a baby. And you have not ha- been able to have a baby your entire life. And Zachariah's question to Gabriel after he hears this news is this, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. That's his question. And to his question, Gabriel says that nothing is impossible with God. And because you didn't believe, or actually he says, I stand in the presence of God, is what he tells him. And then he says, because you didn't believe, you're going to be silent until this comes true. But Mary's question is very similar. Says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's not that much different. And what I think about this is, is, is amazing to me is that, yes, God wants you to ask questions, but God also knows the heart behind your questions. There's sometimes that we're asking God for proof, but even if the proof was there, we're not going to submit. We're not going to give. We're not, we're not going to change. And there's other times that we're coming and we're genuinely seeking understanding because we actually want to follow or we want help in following God. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And so... Honest reflection is seeking understanding without seeking control. That's something that I was just thinking about that Mary's doing. She's seeking understanding. She's seeking guidance. She's seeking under, like, how is this going to be? But she's not asking, how can I be sure of this? She's not seeking control. She's actually still open to what God is saying. And may we be people of honest reflection that ponder and think about this because Man, when we're confronted with God breaking into our lives, so you're like, well, Joe, that's an angel, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago to Mary. Uh, that's a very specific situation. But really, the gospel comes to us in a similar way. Maybe it's not an angelic visitation. Maybe it is. God's still doing that. But it comes to us, and it disturbs our peace, it disturbs our plans. It, it demands a response. Because what God's saying is that I have come near in the person of Jesus so that you could be brought near to me. I am bringing you back home. You are created by God for a reason. To be known by him and loved by him. But there's sin separating us. And so when the gospel comes of Christmas, that I have come near that the virgin will bear a son and his name shall be Emmanuel, which is God with us, it requires us to make a decision and to ponder, what does this mean for me? And as I was reflecting on 
on this. Some of the, sometimes it looks like it's a crossroad in your life. You got to decide which way you're going to go. And I remember for me, um, there was a crossroad when uh, I was choosing my job out of college. And I was a finance major. And I really wanted to follow Jesus. But growing up, man, my parents sacrificed and scrimped and saved and tried to give me everything I could. And so that was something I'm very thankful for. But I also had this desire to make a comfortable living. I did not want to go through that again. And so I had this tension of my own plans of following a career that would give me said salary or submitting those plans to God and saying, I'm the Lord's servant, do with me what you will. Have you guys ever encountered that kind of decision-making process before? And I remember wrestling with that. And it is not a quick uh, it wasn't a quick situation. It, it was a week after week, month after month process of really wanting to discern, God, what are you calling me to? And I just feel like in this season, this is a time of honest reflection. Maybe there's a crossroads in your life where you're trying to discern, God, what is your will for me in this situation? But regardless, I feel like there's a surrender that he's inviting us into again. And that's what he was inviting Mary into. And so what has blown me away, though, is Mary's response this entire week has blown me away. And so let's look at that. And what we'll see in this next part is that we receive the gift of peace from Christ as we embrace humble service. And this is what Mary says. This is what Mary says in verse 29. It says that she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over descendants of Jacob forever and his kingdom will be no end. And then she asked the question, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And so here we see that Mary is asking questions, but she doesn't have all of her questions answered, does she? Because think of the implications of this. She is going to be pregnant, but not with her husband, Joseph, and before their wedding. So the implications of this are huge for her. This is her reputation is going to be uh, rubbed through the mud. Joseph might not go through with the marriage, and so he could divorce her. Her life actually might be on the line for adultery. This is no small price for her to, to pay. And yet this is her response after not, I mean, how many more questions would you ask to Gabriel? I have a lot of questions. But the last thing he said for, the, for, for no word from God will ever fail. And it just is stunning to me that she didn't ask more, but this is what she said. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled, then the angel left her. I mean, I have just been so challenged by this text and by Mary. 
And I'm just like, Lord, would you make me a disciple like Mary was and have that kind of identity to have two questions answered and be like, okay, I'm in. And really what this reflects is, is what God promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Abraham said, through you, Abraham, I am going to bless all the peoples of the earth. And then he tells Abraham to go to a country, to leave the country that he's going, and I will show you where to go. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he obeyed and he left and he left everything and he went out and he's called the father of faith. And there's other examples of Abraham's faith. This is like her saying, okay, you're saying this is what's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen next, but I'm in. I'm the Lord's servant. And so I think there's this, there's something profound here because she did know a little bit probably of the prophecies to be told. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says that the, the Lord himself will give you a sign speaking to Israel. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. No one, no one thought this was literal. <laughs> like they thought this was a metaphor, but this is literally happening to her. And then it goes on to say in Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7, for us, a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And then here it is, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness from that time on forever. And so just putting yourselves in Mary's shoes, She's saying yes, because she's in a place of submission to God, of saying, I, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow you. I don't know all the answers, but I'm going to follow you. And maybe she had in her heart these, these prophecies that have been long foretold of awaiting the Messiah. And that one day that this son would be the prince of peace and of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. I don't know. But I think that she had enough faith to say, I'm in. Angie had enough awareness to realize that God was at the center of her story and of her life, and she was not at the center. We had a, um, we had a staff Christmas party this past Friday. So we had our staff and overseers over, and we were celebrating, and we were all around the dinner table. And we had this table question of what is a stone of remembrance from this past year of God's faithfulness to you? Uh, and it was really rich, people just sharing about God's, um, what God had done this past year. And the Herndons actually here in the front. So Marshall, our missions pastor, Lacey, uh, his wife, who helps out with the, our Antioch Discipleship School, shared how they had been through a year of seeing God provide for them in ways that they had not imagined because they felt like God had told, him, told them to move in directions that they didn't know how, they didn't know where the finances were going to come. They didn't know where, the, where they would live. They didn't know how God would provide, but they felt like God was saying to provide. And Lacey said this at the dinner table. She said, you know, whenever you're at the center of your own picture of your life is where anxiety and fear and worry starts to come up. But the more you realize that, okay, Jesus is at the center and I'm his servant and I'm following him, the more we receive his peace, the more we have him at the center. And it reminded me of, um, of Copernicus, uh, of the, we have a picture of him right here. Copernicus was an astrologer 
in the 16th century. And up till that time, they believed that the solar system and all the planets revolved around the earth. But what he discovered is it makes way more sense for the universe to orbit around the sun. And it was called the Copernican Revolution. And all these complicated like mathematical equations to try to determine how are we the, at the center of the universe, he's actually saying we're not at the center. The this, this, this sun is how we're to orient the way we understand how things orbit. And it's similar in our own hearts. The more that Christ is at the center, the more it makes sense, the more we're able to submit and say, I'm the Lord's servant. I don't know what's down the road, but I can trust you because of the increase of your government and of your peace, there will be no end. And we're about to go into another uh, political cycle next year, another four years. But in that day, yeah, and we're kind of used to it by now. I'm like, okay, I'm going to brace myself, but I'm not that worried about it because, uh, I mean, it's important on one level, sure. We'll, 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 we'll address that when it comes. But I just think about the kingdom. Like in those days, a king, if you had a good king, it was a great reign for his whole life. And there was a whole lot of wicked kings that you were just stuck with. Of the reign of the king Jesus, there will be no end. There's no insecurity. I mean, when you find secure leadership in your life, it's a rare thing. When you find a good manager, a good boss, a good coach, like, man, that is, it really sticks out, right? You have the best leader in King Jesus. And so you have to follow someone, either yourself or someone else. Why not Jesus? Why not put him at the center? Because he's going to reign forever. And so we have an opportunity, like Mary, to say, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me. And just my last point before we get to baptisms is that we receive the gift of peace from Christ by unfolding understanding of what his will is. It's not just like, okay, you need to just jump off a cliff and figure it out. We see in this passage that God in his favor is on Mary in that moment, but it continues to be on her. And even if you continue on reading in Luke, there's different like little, little gifts that God gives Mary to say, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And this is one of them in Luke 1, uh, which I'll, I'll summarize for you, is that whenever she finds out this news, she goes and visits Elizabeth, who's her cousin. And as soon as her cousin Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she doesn't know anything about Mary, and yet she is, she is receiving like a prophetic word, a word of knowledge right there that you are bearing the Lord in your womb right now. And that inside of me, John is leaping for joy. And then she said, blessed are you to believe, to believe. And Zachariah is probably right there. <laughs> He's like, you know, he can't defend himself. He's like, oh, come on. That was a cheap shot. But she believed, she believed. And there's so, and so there's this unfolding understanding. And then Mary even understands another layer more when she sings the song that she sings that we didn't read, but she sings this song about her soul rejoicing. Her whole life is turned upside down. She was already a humble, a humble person. Now she's even humbler. She's at the bottom of the social totem pole. 
but she says, God has exalted me. Why? It says in her, in her, um, in verse 55 of Luke one, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She realizes that she is part of God's salvation story. That's not just her story. It's part of the greater meta-narrative of what God is doing in the world. And we actually have an invitation, each of us, into that greater story. Amen? Amen. So practically, how do we have peace? How do we do that? in this Christmas season, just exhort us again to reflect on what Christ came to give, to look at ourselves as humble servants and to also trust God, would you unfold our understanding? And if you're experiencing anxiety today, this scripture is what we prayed beforehand, Philippians 4, four through seven. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I just feel like that, that practice of giving thanks is like this practice of putting Jesus at the center of whatever you're anxious for. And so one of the ways that we give thanks to the Lord is through our testimony. It's through telling the story like what Mary is experiencing of our, in our own lives, how God has come near to us and how we have responded and said yes to him. And when we do that, man, when we say yes, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, it says that we are saved. We are, an old, we are now, the old has come and the new creation is here. And it's, a, it's something that God births in us. And so baptism is a celebration of that. And so today, we're going to close our service by having two people get baptized. And so we have the kids coming on in. Kids, come on down. We're going to celebrate these two people as a, as a family. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to have each of these people uh, share a short testimony of why they're being baptized, of what Christ has done in their lives. And then they're going to get baptized and we're going to celebrate them. So the first one that we have is Deborah Schmidt. Deborah, why don't you come on up? Julie, you want to come up? Julie is going to be baptizing her. And so Deborah wrote her testimony. So Deborah, why don't you go ahead and share? Um, I grew up in a Christian family who loved God and believed in the Bible And I gave my life to Christ at an early age. As a child, I felt like perfection was expected of me. And I made performance my biggest goal. I thought I could be self-sufficient and could feel full and satisfied by earning approval from people. I believed I could become a good enough person through striving for perfection in everything I did. Grades, mission trips, serving at church, memorizing scripture, reading the whole Bible, and doing the right thing. I thought if I just tried hard enough, I could make God love me more. Um, But the more I struggled to reach perfection, the more I fell short, spiraling down into depression, self-pity, and loneliness. My value and self-esteem were so entwined with my performance that my feelings swung like a pendulum from pride to self-hatred every time my circumstances changed. This vicious cycle continued into college. I felt like I was drowning, running so hard after the life I thought would fulfill me, 
yet barely keeping my head above water. In yet another attempt to reach the standard I set for myself, I started going to church. The community I stumbled into there talked about and worshiped God in a way that was so much more intimate and real than I was used to. They were honest and open about their struggles, and their stability and confidence in life stunned me. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Through the authentic and accepting community I found through my church, I finally realized that God didn't want me to be perfect. He was always waiting, his arms open wide, for me to run to him with all my failure, loneliness, and depression. Grace means that nothing I could ever do could change the insane amount of love God has for me. His death for me has forever erased any need for me to reach perfection. Now I find my value and belonging in God instead of in my performance and the approval of others. I know he has a plan and a purpose for my life, specifically that's beyond any I could create or imagine. When he is my foundation, I have a stable rock to stand on from which to live and love confidently. By no means do I never struggle anymore. I still fall back into striving sometimes. But now I know his love for me isn't dependent on how hard I try because he is always enough for me. Life with Christ is a daily journey of reminding myself again and again how sovereign and full of love he is and who I am in him. Although I was baptized as an infant, I'm so excited to be baptized as a believer, as a visible symbol of how I have died to sin and am made new through the power and grace of Jesus. Deborah, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe he died for your sins? Yes. And is it your desire to make your belief public by this act of baptism? Yes. Then it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and raised to walk in the newness of life. (laughs) Jesus, I thank you so much for the new life that you've created in Deborah's life. God, you are faithful and you're good. We thank you just for the ability that she has to lean on you, God, and your Holy Spirit's new work in her life, God. We thank you that she's sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we just ask that you'd come and bring your joy and your peace and your hope um, even more in her life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo! Okay, now we have Tahila. Tahila, would you come on up? Give Tahila a hand. Tila, Tahila and her mom, Marie. All right, Tahila, you're going to do great. Okay, Tahila's written down why she wants to be baptized today as well. Okay, you ready? Okay. I used to not be positive to myself, and I used to be mean to others and myself. And I talk back. But when I went to kids camp and VBS, I learned that Jesus can fix anything. And that I decided to follow Jesus. And I prayed and my life changed. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I am more positive. I believe in myself. And I try to be a good role model to my sister and my friends. 
and I am more nicer to people, and I love Jesus. Woo! Can we give her a hand? Okay, Tahila. You ready to be baptized? Okay, let's go to the baptismal. Tahila, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe you died for your sins? Is it your desire today to make the belief public by being baptized? Yes. Then it is my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism. Well, double baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah. Yes, Lord, we thank you for this precious daughter, Tahila. Lord, thank you from the moment that she was being knit together in Marie's womb. God, you were drawing her to you and you're continuing to draw her to you. Lord, thank you for the yes in her heart to you, to follow you, to pray the prayer of salvation, and the yes in her heart today to be baptized. God, would you continue to fill her up with your Holy Spirit, that she would walk in step and in obedience to you all the days of her life. God, would you use her as a light to shine bright, bringing a touch of your kingdom here to earth. God, we love you and we thank you that we get to celebrate this new life that Tehillah has with you, God. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll have everyone stand. We're going to close with a song of worship, just celebrating their life. And it says that whenever one sinner repents, that there is a party that goes on in heaven. And so let's worship and let's celebrate with them. <laughs> 